In Jackson, New Jersey, weighs one passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And full stuff we're getting into today in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. It's on your mind. Just give the show a call, number 734-98, if you want to comment on the Facebook Live or YouTube feed. Please let me know. You can also follow the show on iTunes and Google Play. Obviously, the latest rush of the virus in southern states may put things in a completely different perspective when it comes to the resumption of has done is really turn the safety of it to come to the game to the players and the owners and this tug of war that has existed in a game since 1970. The owners aren't making any friends here. The owners with the commissioner working for them are trying to do everything in their power to restrict the players potential power and status in a game. Now, there's talk, there's a thought that perhaps owners in baseball, or at least there's some of them out there, that consider themselves or consider it more beneficial for there not to be a season. Now, like I said, we're talking about the, the virus potentially outbreaking again and spring training facility in Florida as players are getting the virus. Listen, the safety of the players, the safety of the consumers, the fans, can be an issue. But what is what has been made an issue, and unfortunately the dirty laundry that's being aired between the players and the owners, and mostly the owners, is showing that owners don't want to pay the players what they're being paid. These are salaries that the owners have already agreed to. And if the talk is, amongst owners that there may be at least six of them that think it would be more profitable or fiscally responsible for them not to play a baseball season at all, that these owners need to be identified. Owners need to be called out. If called out, I'm going to go out of my way to suspect that there are certain owners that are amongst this list of six to eight that would rather not have a baseball season than have games played without any fans. Now, listen, I thought we were coming to a certain point where we could consider fans being part of the experience again. And maybe, you know, capacities, if you heard me last week talking about, you know, 25% capacity in a stadium, just like we're allowing in churches, just like we're allowing in grocery stores and mall-like settings. You know, certain places that are opening up are opening up to 25% capacity. It may not be an option to have baseball played with any fans in the stadium whatsoever. And if there's owners that are so content on making sure that they receive revenue from fans, receive revenue for concessions and merchandise and stuff like that, it's all going to be lost. Every owner understands that's going to be a loss. Not just an owner of a baseball team, but an owner of any sports team that it's going to be a situation where you're not going to have fans in a stadium. You know it's going to be lost. You're not going to be the only one that's losing. But unfortunately, there's some bottom feeder owners in Major League Baseball that probably have no business owning a baseball team. And that's why it's very important that they man themselves up and at least admit that they're doing what they're doing. If you're Fred and Jeff Wilpon of the Mets, if you're the owner of the Athletics or the owner of the Indians and the Pirates and the, the Rays, if your intention is to turn baseball into the ownership of baseball into a profit-seeking situation, 
where it's all about profit. If you're not making profit, you know, why are you even in a business? Then maybe it's time to get out. Maybe it's time for these owners that are trying to make baseball out to be something better than it is from the owner standpoint. You're going to lose money if you're a baseball owner. You know what? There, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that have millions and millions and maybe billions of dollars that wouldn't mind owning a major league baseball team. Give them a chance to do it. I bet you some of them would understand that owning a baseball team, you're going to have to take some sort of loss. I bet you they would understand that you have to allocate a certain amount of money towards paying your players. And you can't get away with having a $20 million payroll as an owner of a Major League Baseball team. It's time for these owners that don't want to be involved in a sport to try to sell their teams and get away. But there should be more pressure from the general public. And when you have people that are out there talking and bringing these topics up, there should be more pressure on these owners to have to be accountable for what it is that they're trying to do. Now, I'm not going to assume that every owner is trying to get away from baseball. I'm not looking at every owner as not understanding that there's going to be some loss and you have to allocate a certain amount of money for players. But these are the owners, the ones that I'm talking about, are the ones that are getting into the head of the commissioner. They're the ones that are within speaking distance of Commissioner Manfred and are letting their opinions be known. Now, if we make these statements public, if we make this information public, at least we'll have a better understanding. You know, if you're a fan of a team that you know that they're, the owner could care less whether that team ever wins, you're going to be less inclined to go to games. You're going to be less inclined to throw your entire support behind there. And you know what? Those owners would have to answer to the media. And that's all I'm asking for. I'm asking for these owners that have such an issue with owning a baseball team would rather not have a season in 2020. Now, listen, I understand. Like I said, I'm going to keep repeating myself because what's happening with the virus and spreading and the whole thing is a serious thing. And if it gets to a point where we have another outbreak, if we have another stay-at-home order, if things end up getting a little bit worse, I don't think we should even worry about having any sort of sports. But the Major League Baseball owners brought this upon themselves. They were the ones that turned something that initially was for the safety of its consumer, the fans and the players and the people that are involved in this to make sure everybody's safe. They took that and turned this into a baseball political war. And ability or effort by the owners to get away from having to pay players money, from having to throw out any more expenses than you want. Like I said, if you're an owner of a baseball team and you don't like the way things are going now, maybe it's time to sell. Or maybe you wait till baseball gets back and your team has a little more value because I bet you not too many baseball teams have a lot of, of value right now. If there's a team for sale in baseball, I'm sure it's a uh, it, it's a buyer's market. But maybe wait for things to get back to where they need to be and put your team up for sale and sell it to somebody that gives a damn. Sell it to somebody that's going to care about its fans. That's going to care about the condition of the team. That's going to try to win. And once again, I think winning a World Series is the last thing on the list of priorities when it comes to the owner of Major League Baseball team in 2020. And that's a problem because it wasn't always that way. 
I'd like to know that there's 30 baseball teams with 30 owners that are going all out of their way to try to win themselves a World Series. And we know that that's not happening right now. And like I said, you got two separate issues going on. And it pisses me off that the owners took this very serious health matter when it comes to the fans, to the players, to the employees, to everybody that's involved there. A serious health scare. And made it about trying to gain themselves more power. Paying players less than what you agreed to. These owners agreed to pay these contracts. We talk about $200 million contracts, $300 million contracts as they're in baseball. Oh, my God. The players are getting paid so much money. Who do you think signing these contracts? Who do you think signing these players? Owners are going to claim poverty when they're the ones giving out $300 million contracts? These are the same owners that were guilty of collusion in the 1980s. There was proof of it. There were three separate settlements. They admitted wrongdoing. It's disgusting. I think it's very important that these owners speak up, not just from a point of being able to identify who doesn't want a baseball team and who wants a baseball team, who should basically sell their baseball team. But how about from the owner's standpoint for the opportunity that they can get with the freedom of speech to express their own opinion? But they're going to hide. They're going to hide behind the, the, the walls. They're going to hide in their rooms. They're not even going to come out and speak. You haven't heard one thing from one owner during this whole discussion. Players are speaking out. Players want to get on the field. They want to play. When was the last time you heard any comment from any owner about anything, let alone those owners that would rather there not be a baseball season at all because they think it would be better financially for them? You have a disaster going on in baseball as we get set for the collective bargaining agreement in a couple years. You have a commissioner that really has become the ultimate owner's stand, which, listen, he's supposed to be a moderator, but most importantly, he's supposed to represent the voice and the views of the owners. And that should be understood. He should be on the owner's side. But for him to take the Kool-Aid that he's drank and believe that he could change the game by eliminating minor league teams, by eliminating rounds of the draft, by basically cutting players' salaries, which is unprecedented. And you understand that there's a lot of people out there that are getting furloughed. There's a lot of people out there that are losing their jobs temporarily or even, you know, jobs that have been eliminated. And we understand that. And for those that think that sports are entertainment, I was thinking about this the other day. There's no obligation that anybody has to perform in front of you. You think about, you know, bands and singers, which would sure love to have a concert in front of 50,000 people. That's not possible now. They don't have to entertain you online. They don't have to entertain you in empty stadiums in front of no audience. 
Same thing applies to sports. Sports are a great sanctuary. It's very important for people to look at sports as kind of a diversion to problems that they have in their own lives, whether they're personal, whether they are afraid about the latest outbreak of the coronavirus, whether they're entrenched in their political position and their political wars that they have that, you know, are their own fault for involving themselves in that bullshit. Sports are a great sanctuary. They're great to pull you away from that, at least temporarily, not think of the daily monotony and the garbage that are polluting your lives. But sports don't have to be there. And it's not, and, and if you think about it, stadiums and sites in Florida, they're starting to close down. You know, Florida is seeing this influx of people get on getting this virus. Same things happening in Texas and Georgia and all these other states. Safety should be number one. Safety should be the priority. You don't want anybody getting sick. And that's why it bothers me even more that the Major League Baseball owners have taken this unfortunate situation and used it in a way to try to gain power back. Basically try to re, re, re uh, sorry, uh, to try to overturn the Peter Seitz decision of 1975. It's disgusting. So I was hearing a couple things over the course of the week that kind of got to me, and I'll cite them. I'll cite them exactly, just so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Chris Mad Dog Russo, a guy that I look up to, you know, does MLB Network. He obviously has Mad Dog Sports Radio where he does a drive time on the national level. Took a take or an opinion that I think a lot of people disagree with. In fact, I've been very outspoken about how I feel about the owners and the players in Major League Baseball. And, you know, Mad Dog decided to take the role of supporting the owners and taking a shot at players that have underperformed their contracts. And it may come out as a very bad take. Phil Mushnick of the New York Post writes a story this past week. Basically taking a shot at Mets star first baseman Pete Alonzo. And Pete obviously has done great things for the community. He's won the rookie of the year. He hit 53 home runs, something that no rookie in Major League Baseball history has ever done. He comes off as a, as a genuine person, a born leader, somebody that you think down the road will probably be either the Mets team leader or captain down the road. Phil Mushnick doesn't like the fact that he uses the F word. And basically puts together a story negative about Pete Alonso. Now, the general public is not going to take that very well. I don't agree with Mushnick's take. Just like I don't agree with Mad Dog's take when he wants to take the side of the owners over the players. But I think people in the social media world got to relax. The, the thought is, oh, you know, Mad Dog's got to get off the radio. He's got to get off TV on MLB Network. Mushnick's got to stop writing for the post. Number one, you're basically feeding into exactly what you're saying that you're against. Do you think Phil Mushnick's writing a story because he wants a bunch of people patting him on the back, saying how great of a writer he is, how great 
of a newspaper story that was for the New York Post. Phil Mushnick's been doing what he's been doing for years. He's been baiting people. And you know what? You're going to get just as many people that are going to be interested in your story that like it as much as hate it. And how many clicks do you think Phil Mushnick's story is getting? It's getting a ton. It's getting a ton of reaction. It might be on a negative negative side, but it's getting a reaction. And that's why Phil Mushnick does what he does. Mad Dogs on Twitter having players go at him while you're looking at Chris Mad Dog Russo trending you know, amongst the top five in the entire country when you're talking about Donald Trump and the coronavirus. Do you think Mad Dog Russo is happy about that? Absolutely. He's doing what he's trying to do. And that's get attention. So when you're out there saying these people should stop doing what they're doing, Mushnick shouldn't write anymore, Mad Dog shouldn't be on the air anymore. Why? Because they have a take that you don't agree with? And once again, since when do we live in a cookie cutter world that everybody has to believe the same thing? Aren't we talking about... You know, with Black Lives Matter to make sure everybody gets their own voice, their own opinion, and it all gets treated the same? Aren't we talking about the melting pot that we have here in the United States of America of the, you know, whatever, 100-something million that we have, people in this country that are all different, they all look different, they all act different, they have all different ideologies and beliefs and sexual orientation? So when we're saying that it's okay for everybody to be what they are, it's okay for everybody to have their own opinion, but maybe, oh, you know what? The same shouldn't apply to anybody in the media. How stupid does that sound? How stupid does that sound that we're going to try to censor people that don't say exactly what we want them to say? And if you don't like what somebody says, just like if you don't like what I say, you could have an impact on me by not listening to my show. If you don't like what Mad Dog Russo is saying, if you don't like his takes, then don't listen or watch his show. If you don't like the tone that Phil Mushnick takes when he takes shots at somebody like Pete Alonzo, then don't click on his articles. You have that power. But they, just like you, if you have the right to be whatever you are and express whatever opinion that you want to express... Surely people that are getting paid and compensated for that got those same rights. Now listen, there's hate out there. There's people that are going to say, hey, get get off the air. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't write. Don't do what it is that you love to do. But that's separate from the people that really think that people shouldn't be allowed to speak to have a difference in opinion than they do. Mad Dog's take was off. He comes off as somebody that is basically piggybacking over the owners or off of the owners, supporting the owners. Now, I'm sure he's not the only one. I'm sure there's people that are tired of the players' salaries, probably tired of the, you know, when and where, you know, theme that the Major League Baseball players had. There's people that work in law. There's people that are entrepreneurs and business owners that understand the position of the owners. 
There's people that were around before 1975 and thought that the reserve clause was the ultimate thing for Major League Baseball and its players. Now, that's a, I think, an erroneous statement. That's a statement that doesn't come across too well, but it's an opinion that somebody could have. And I made my share of questionable takes. I made my share of bad takes. It's not going to stop me from making them. You have your opinion. I have mine. Like I said, Mad Dog in this case and Phil Mushnick in this case have their own opinions. But I, I think in Mushnick's case, he knew what he was up against. He knew what was going to probably happen or a response of his article that he was writing. But you know what he also knew? He also knew it was going to get a ton of attention. He also knew his article was going to get a ton of clicks. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPLA.com and JohnPLALC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charge or admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. Thinking top postseason pitchers in Major League Baseball history. Thinking of the Kurt Schillings of the world, the John Smoltz of the world. Andy Pettit had some ups and downs. He had some great moments, but also some bad moments. I think of Bob Gibson. I think of Mickey Lolich. Sandy Koufax, obviously, some of the World Series he had that were immaculate. One of the ones that doesn't get a ton of attention is a pitcher for the Cleveland Indians by the name of Stan Kovaleski. And the reason I bring this up is we're looking at the 100th anniversary of the 1920 Cleveland Indians. And we spoke last year. We did, uh, you know, the 100th anniversary of the 1919 Black Sox. And there was a lot of negative vibes that were involved in that because most of it was centered around the fact that the Chicago White Sox threw the World Series. They lost the World Series intentional. And it kind of put a, a, a dark mark on the Cincinnati Reds, who won their first World Series championship at the time. You know, I spoke about the Reds and Ed Roush and those guys kind of being underrated. Pat Moran, the manager. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't have that many more years to live. And a very good story of a Cincinnati Reds team that should be proud of their first World Series championship was thrown aside because of what the White Sox did. Because of what uh, Chick Gandel and Sweet Reisberg initiated. But he couldn't have done it without Eddie Seacott and Lefty Williams and the other guys. And the consent of Joe Jackson, whether or not he participated in the fix or not. But we spent a lot of time last year talking about the 100th anniversary of the 1919 season. The 1919 Black Sox. The 1919 World Series champion Cincinnati Reds. So 100 years ago, the Cleveland Indians were another team in baseball that won the World Series for the first time. Now, they were a great story. In fact, a very a, a very good story that should be made into a movie. The tragic death of shortstop Ray Chapman, hit in the head by a fastball thrown by Carl Mays. Luck, likely some sort of spitball. Probably wasn't intentional. 
And I don't think anybody believes that Mays was throwing at Chapman's head. But because of this, Major League Baseball goes forward. They outlaw the spitball. They allow a handful of pitchers to throw it, to be grandfathered in. And as long as they're pitching, they're allowed to throw the spitball. But they use clean baseballs. They rotate more baseballs in there. They try to make the game a safer place. And the Indians use the death of their star of their shortstop, Chapman, as a rallying cry. They go out there, they win the pennant of the American League. And then in a set in a best of nine series, defeat the Brooklyn Robins five games to two. Now, one of the reasons that they won the World Series was the pitching of Kovaleski. Now, after the 1920 season, which is after, of course, the Ray Chapman death and the season that I'm citing right now, Major League Baseball comes up with the rule to outlaw the spitball and to grandfather in a handful of pitchers that they're going to allow to throw the spitball throughout the rest of their career. Stan Kovaleski was one of them. So when we're talking about the value of Stan Kovaleski and his career, he makes it into baseball's Hall of Fame. Was he doing something that was a little bit devious? Was he, in fact, cheating? Well, if there wasn't a rule against it, throwing a spitball was not illegal, so technically he wasn't cheating. But he was throwing a pitch that was outlawed in baseball. Warren Spahn, Fergie Jenkins, Greg Maddox, they're not allowed to throw a spitball. If they throw it, they could be suspended, they could be thrown out of the game, they could get in trouble for any substance that they use to doctor baseball. Now, Gaylord Perry had a great career. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He likely got away with using variations of the spitball and different doctored baseballs that he used to his benefit over the course of his Major League Baseball career. Do I look at Gaylord Perry as a cheater? I think he bet the rules. Did he bend them all the time? In fact, he said the same thing that Kovaleski would later say when it comes to the spitball. You know, make it look like to the hitter that you, you got something on you, that you're doctoring the baseball, and here it comes. It's going to be moving crazy. And then throw, throw a dart, throw a fastball. Gaylord Perry did that. He kept going to his hat, he, to his face. He drove his opponents crazy. That's gamesmanship. He may not have even been using a foreign substance in some of the games that he was pitching, or maybe even most of them. Kovaleski did the same thing. And Kovaleski's performance in the 1920 World Series was outstanding. He pitched three games. He won all three. And for those of you that want to knock the value of a win as a statistic, if a pitcher's going nine innings, I'm counting their wins. And Kovaleski did that over the course of the 1920 World Series. He pitched three games. He pitched three complete games, including a complete game shutout in game seven, which turned out to be the decisive game. A five to two series win over the Brooklyn Robins. Jim Bagby was on that team. Jim Bagby Sr. Ironically, Jim Bagby Jr. would be on a 1948 team that would win the World Series for the Cleveland Indians. How about that? A father and a son are part of Indians baseball history. They're part of the two World Series championship winning Cleveland Indians teams. But I think Kovaleski is underrated as a big game pitcher. He was outstanding in that World Series. He won 20 games five times over the course of his career. 
baseball's Hall of Fame needed to be around about 30 or so years before Kowalewski got his due. His career was done by the time of the first official announcement of the Baseball Hall of Fame. And listen, there's guys like Cy Young and Christy Mathewson and Walter Johnson and guys like that to have to get in the Hall of Fame before Kowalewski. But he got his due in 1969, was around to live for it, enjoyed it, seemed to be very happy to have his place in baseball history. But the reason I bring this up is we are going to, at some point, segue into from a, the top 100 offensive position players of all time to the top 100 starting pitchers of all time. And there's going to be some interesting names that are going to be towards the top. We're going to respect the Negro Leagues and the dominance of the pitchers in those leagues. We're going to talk about the best pitchers in the world, not just the best pitchers in Major League Baseball history. And I promise you Stan Kowalewski will be there. He's going to be amongst the top 100 somewhere. The list hasn't been compiled yet, but stay tuned for it on JohnPielli.com. A little bit of a recap of the show today, and as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I think it's time for Major League Baseball owners to start identifying themselves. Let the general public know where you stand. Do you want a baseball season? Would you feel like it was better if... You didn't have to pay players to play in any sort of game over the course of the year. We know things have changed a little bit. I think there is a fear of a second outbreak of the coronavirus. And I do advise anybody that could possibly be careful to be careful. But what bothers me the most is that there's something that is so serious impacting lives and is a fear for the safety of the general public. And the Major League Baseball owners use this as a bargaining chip to try to reduce player salaries, to try to take away the rights of the Major League Baseball players. And it's absolutely disgusting. The fact that the owners are willing to Basically, go full tug speedman, full simple jack in Tropic Thunder to make this about money and reporting their losses. Listen, owners of all sports are losing money right now. That's what happens in a pandemic. There's people that are losing their jobs left and right. You should at least be open-minded to some sort of play. If you don't want your team to play and it's not a safety issue, you've got to call that out and let that be known. If you're one of the six to eight owners in Major League Baseball, I'm talking to you, Fred and Jeff Wilpon. I'm talking to you, Stuart Sternley of the Tampa Bay Rays. Talking to you, Bob Nutting of the Pittsburgh Pirates. If you don't think it's beneficial, all health scares aside, to play a Major League Baseball season and you're an owner of a Major League Baseball team, go out there and speak up. 
Let it be known that that's how you feel. Maybe explain why. Maybe you could come up with a good enough reason that would actually make sense to believe what you believe. In a society where we've accepted everybody's right to their own opinion, don't hide behind the commissioner. And while I think Commissioner Manfred has done an absolutely terrible job during his time as the commissioner of Major League Baseball, I don't throw this all on him. His choice to take the advice of the owners and the specific owners that he's chosen to take the advice of, I think that's on him. But the owners that are basically marching into his office saying, this is what we want. These are the things that we're looking for, this, this, and this. And the commissioner to basically back them, hook, line, and sinker, is a terrible job. But once again, we have the ability to speak our minds, to let it be known how we feel about certain things. It would make a ton of sense for these owners to go out there and speak their minds. And maybe win a little bit of public support back. Hey, at least you threw it out there and let it known exactly how you believe. And maybe the belief that exists within the general public is a little misconstrued. Because that happens a lot too, obviously. Do you turn on the news? I think it's time for these owners to identify themselves. If you think even a 50-game season in Major League Baseball should not happen, and you'd rather pack up your bags and go home and cancel the 2020 baseball season, I think we all have the right to know who you are and why you believe what you believe. Spoke about bad takes. Yeah, and listen, you're talking to do to, in some cases, excuse me, the king of bad takes. I like to play devil's advocate. I like to look at both sides of the spectrum. Because I know that as passionate as one can be about one certain point, somebody could find a little bit of a way or a little bit of a hole or a little bit of an argument to say, well, why not this? And I support bad takes. I support bad takes because sometimes there's people that say stupid things and kind of get exposed for the stupid things that they say. But I also believe in evolution. I think you could grow from a take that you may say something and then after you say it, you realize that it wasn't really that good. Or you say something and you get a backlash and you start to think about reasons why your take might not be so good. Now, Chris Mad Dog Russo, I think he owned up to it. He believed what he believed, but he took the, you know, the the issues and the brunt from players that were calling him out. You know, in some cases, fans that didn't agree with his take, other commentators that didn't agree with his take. But it's thought that this guy should be off the air. What? Because he has a point that isn't 100% in agreement with what you believe? Now, it's an unpopular take. So was Phil Mushnick's post, no pun intended, with the New York Post talking about Pete Alonzo, his excessive use of the F-bomb. Does that make him a bad person? And I didn't read the article because I didn't have any interest in reading the article. A lot of people did, though. And most of the people didn't agree with Mr. Mush- Mr. Mushnick's point. And... It's not going to stop him from writing articles, especially when you're going to be out there clicking it and sharing it 
when you're sharing it on Twitter with the sub text of whatever you want to say, you can say you can make it to be as bad as you want it to be. You can say whatever you want about Phil Mushnick. But when you share it out there, that means Phil Mushnick's going to get a ton more clicks of people that are going to read the article. And guess what? He's in the business for Internet clicks. Chris Mad Dog Russo is in the business for people to tune into his radio show. And he may say something that's a little outlandish, a little bit crazy, but anybody that agrees with it are going to be there to listen to you. Anybody that disagrees with you is probably going to want to tune in because they want to know what you're going to say next. So this thought that we're going to take all bad takes and get rid of them and eliminate them, it's not going to happen. We have an awful lot of people that make an awful lot of bad takes all the time, and they're not getting censored. So this thought that we're going to have this you know, cookie-cutter, same thought process where we all believe the same, that's obviously a hypocritical statement because we're also talking about a country that wants to include everybody and should. Everybody that looks different, everybody that has different ideological beliefs and religious beliefs and uh, is, you know, may have different sexual orientation, may believe in this over this. They got the right to believe what they want to believe. Yeah, we're going to call out people in the media because they have a take that's a little outlandish. Come on. Third thing we talked about today, we brought a little discussion about Stan Kowalewski, I think an underrated pitcher in Major League Baseball history. The 100th anniversary of the 1920 Cleveland Indians, their first World Series championship. Trish Speaker was the manager. They beat the Brooklyn Robins in five games. Kowalewski, three game starts, three complete games, three wins, and a shutout to close the series out in seven games. That was the best of nine series. The Indians won five games, and the Dodgers won two. But 100 years ago, the 1920 World Series, Cleveland Indians, World Series champions. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We'll be back with you next week. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.